How many people here have been asked a question before? Wow. There's a lot of hands. That's great. We're off to a great start. But you know what? Now I want to make it intellectual. Now I want to bring it back to this man right here. What he did was truly, truly amazing and inspirational. Maybe some of you know who he is. I'll be honest, I don't. I Google image the word preacher theologian, and this is what came up. You see, my objective is to make it seem like I've been doing my homework, like I've been doing research, and I'm just adding more and more filler. But in reality, all I'm really doing is this is just me buying time. Now, you guys might not believe me by the way that I'm speaking, but it's true. You know what? Let's take a look at the numbers. Some of you guys are analytical. You love to see numbers. Let's take a quick peek at them. The numbers. Numbers of sermon I'm giving this morning, well, that will be one. Number of interesting information said thus far in said sermon, that's going to be a zero. Okay? My height is five feet nine inches. Not that tall, but, and I'm not sure if you guys know this, but six times two also equals 12. That's math. Five is almost always followed by six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Now, 18. 237.6 million. Four. Four. And just to make sure that I try to make things even better for you guys, I made some graphics. It far exceeds the minority. Isn't that pretty cool? And here's a bar graph of also. <laughs> you see, my objective with all of this, watching it and not really listening to the audio, they would think, ah, this Dan guy. But in reality, that's really not happening now, is it? Now, to make it seem like I'm making use of some words up on top, but as for me, I'm just going to be speaking gibberish. <laughs> me, Bob, is pregnant and has cravings. Is that the baby asking for womb service? Words, <laughs> words, and somehow we're going to this conclusion. We're getting somewhere. But you know what? We're I'm just nervous, I'm a wreck, and I'm an utter phony. I'm just over here wasting everybody's time. I want to make it seem like I'm building a moment. Amazing the things that you can do. Life's a roller coaster, isn't it? First started. We started with nothing. I want you to think where we're at right now. Or don't. Let's pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for the privilege that you give us to be here and to just worship you and to just be in your presence. Lord, even though we started off with humor, we know that things are going to get serious soon. And we just pray, Lord, that you may guide us throughout this meeting and that we can see that nothing is something that is very dangerous. And we just ask, Lord, that our lives might not just add up to nothing. So, Father, we just thank and pray all of this and put all this in your hands. Amen. I kind of skipped the part. Sorry, girls. <laughs> but um, this, this wasn't something made up by myself. This was made actually by a man called Will Stevens. And he is a writer for College Humor. So he did a TED Talk, and he did this skit, and I thought it was pretty interesting, and I thought it was worth it to bring it to church with this whole topic about nothing. And um, after Nicole and I came back from Portugal from vacation last year, something that really stuck in our minds was this question that one of the church elders asked us. It's, what are you doing going to church? Why do you come here? What is the reason for you waking up on a Sunday morning or any other day that you go to church and go there? Why are you going? And the scary part, at least our conclusion, was that a lot of times we come here for nothing. 
Let me explain. If you woke up this morning and you thought, you know what? I'm going to go to church. I'm going to listen to the speaker. And hopefully, the speaker will talk to me about my lifestyle. Knowing that you guys might be wrong. Knowing that you guys are not doing the right thing. And you hope that the speaker would say something to defend the way that you're living or the way that you think or the way that you act. But in all reality, if that's your end game, if that's your goal, then I'm sorry, my friend, you came here for nothing. The Apostle Paul is very clear when he writes to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, you, got, you guys don't have to turn to it. I'll read it for you. Uh, Paul is warning Timothy about him continuing with sound doctrine, him continuing about doing the right thing, preaching the word of God, even though it's very difficult. But he warns this to Timothy. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itchy ears, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. People that think this way really are just coming to the church to fill their own ego. They're coming here for nothing. There's no end game. There's no goal. Others, well, others are a little bit more eloquent now, aren't you? You woke up early this morning. You put on your Sunday best. You got dressed. You came down to the Lord's Supper. You went downstairs for a cup of coffee, and now you're up here. But this is something that you do every week. It's a part of your routine. It's a part of what you do on a weekly basis. You take off that box on your schedule. All right, I went to church. This is my tradition. This is just what I do. Then you too, unfortunately, are here for nothing. Because this is nothing more than just you coming here blindly, not bringing anything and not expecting anything. You're very much like Pharisees and Sadducees, where they put their tradition in front of true worldly, uh, true godly living. Jesus Christ has something to say about that in Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 to 28. He says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. If the reason for us coming here once more is just out of our own tradition, it's for us to just follow these rules that we think are in play, then we're missing the point. We're just like Pharisees and Sadducees, where they have Jesus in front of them, but they're more worried about what they're doing and how they look like and how everyone else sees them. Now you guys might be asking, then why should we come here? What should be the reasons of us coming here to church, of us gathering together as God's people? So I found three things for those of you taking notes. Those three things are help, worship, and service. Let me repeat that. Help, worship, and service. Help is a tricky one because first I had help in healing, but I decided to change it just just to help to make it clear for all of us. But are we making the church a place where we look to for help? Are we creating a church in which we're okay with people to come in through these doors and bring the things that are worrying them, the things that they're struggling with, their doubts, their fears, and the things that are just tormenting them on a day-to-day basis? The church that I grew up in, or the few churches that I frequented when I was a child all the way up until Nicole and I got married and came here, We heard it preached way too many times from the pulpit. When you guys walk in through those doors, 
Your problems stay on the other side, and they never come in with you. And maybe some of you have heard the same thing, but I'd like to challenge that idea. I'd like to spin that idea on its head and actually turn to Scripture and ask that one question that everyone did during the 90s. What would Jesus do, right? So what would he do? Let me give you guys three quick examples, one we're not going to turn to because it's way too long just to be able to analyze it, and our time's a little short to get through everything. But the three examples would be Nicodemus, the centurion, and the woman with the, the blood flow problem. So Nicodemus is an interesting character in the New Testament. He's a Pharisee. He's, he's a part of the Sanhedrin, which is like the ultimate elite of the Jewish leaders. So this guy had skin in the game. He comes to Jesus one day at night, and he calls him a good master. He, he acknowledges who Jesus is, but of course he has to come at night so that people won't kick him out of his position. He's ashamed and he's, he's scared. What Jesus does to him is mind-blowing because he grabs his interaction with him and he flips it on his head. Nicodemus thought he was going to go there for something, but Jesus says, hey, you're missing the whole point of who I am. I've been talking to you guys about worldly things, about earthly things so that you can understand, but you missed the point. I'm telling you, you have to be born again. You have to be born once more. And Nicodemus is, asks what? I have to go back into my mom's womb and come back out? That's physically impossible. And Jesus then asks him, if the physical things you can't understand, how do you ever expect to understand the spiritual? Mind you, Nicodemus, master of the law, these guys, these Pharisees, they had 600 plus laws memorized. And they were very careful to act them all out strictly. So someone like Nicodemus might be scratching his head like, Jesus, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And yet Jesus is telling him, you're missing the big picture here. The birth that I'm telling you, it's a spiritual birth. It's something that's different from what you're expecting and you don't understand. Nicodemus was lost, but he didn't know it. And with his interaction with Jesus, Jesus points him to the right direction. Maybe in your walk with the Lord, you think you have it all figured out. You think you got this. But I would like to challenge you to go before him and see what God has for you, what Jesus has to say to you. Because you might be just like Nicodemus, where you know the laws, you know the rules, you know how to play the game because you come here every week. But maybe something is missing, just like in Nicodemus's case. The awesome part with Nicodemus's story is um, he appears two more times in the New Testament. One, he defends Jesus when they wanted to trial him. Well, they wanted to execute him without a trial. And he says it's not our custom, so they let him go. And finally, when Jesus dies, he asks for the body of the Lord Jesus Christ to be able to prepare it with spices. So in a way, he's identifying himself openly that he believed who Jesus said he was. And we see this radical transformation in this man's life. Once more, in your walk with the Lord, if you're feeling a little bit lost or confused, or even if you think you've got it figured out, take time to meet up with Jesus little by little, whether it be by yourself at home whether it be in a small group or whether it be here at church. Because who knows if maybe, just maybe, you might have the wrong idea about something. Second person, we can read it. Turn to Matthew chapter 8. And we'll read from verse 5 to verse 13. So Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 to verse 13. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed in terrible anguish. 
Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Instead, just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those who followed him, I tell you the truth, I have not found such faith in anyone in Israel. I tell you, many will come from the east and west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into an outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, just as you believed, it will be done for you. And the servant was healed at that hour. Maybe you, you come here because there's someone in your life that needs the Lord's help. Maybe you're bringing their case before Jesus because they can't do it themselves. Here we have a centurion. Now the craziest part about this is that he's a Roman citizen. He's not Jewish. And yet he's acknowledging Jesus Christ as the Lord of Lord and God of gods, the God of creation, the one who created everything. He gets it, even though the Jews didn't get it. That's amazing. And he understands that if Jesus says the word, that his servant is healed. Another reason why you guys might be able to be here this morning, might want to come here this morning, is because you might find help for someone in your own family that is hurting, or for someone that you know that is in need. We had the case of Jason a few weeks back, right? Where we all prayed as a church because he was on his deathbed. For those of you that don't know, it was a young teenager who needed lung transplant and liver transplant. And about a month ago, give or take, we were told that, look, the family's going to go there to say their goodbyes. He woke up. Fast forward two weeks later, the church continues to pray, and they find a donor, lungs and liver, and now he's in CHOP recovering. There's still a huge hill to climb, but these people made, us, made it known, hey, we need prayer, we need God's help in this regards, can you guys help us? And the church pulled through. They did that, and we see the amazing way that God is working. Mark chapter 5, verse 25 to 34. Mark chapter 5, verse 25 to 34. Now a woman was there who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years. She had endured a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she kept saying, if only I touch his clothes, I'll be healed. At once the bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Jesus knew at once that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowds pressing against you and you say, Who touched me? But he looked around to see who had done it. Then the woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Another reason why some of you might be here this morning, maybe not willing to admit it, is that you're looking for help. You've tried everything else. You've exhausted all of your sources. And you, you think, you know what? I have nothing else to lose. So you bring it before Jesus. And it's interesting how we see how Jesus deals with people that are hurting, that are in need, 
and that are broken. Very different from what I grew up learning in the church. Once more, it's not, hey, your problems stay out there. It's once more, let's all be a part of this problem. Let's all, as a church, as a family, deal with it together. Let's all grow from it. Nicole and I, last year, we had an experience of this. And we, we really want to thank the people that were there for us here at the chapel. Um, for those of you that don't know, about father, during Father's Day, Nicole uh, had a surprise for me. She was pregnant, and we were expecting our first child. And it, it was a great moment. We were, we were in cloud na- nine. It was a, a really amazing moment for us. As many of you are parents, you know how exciting and scary it all is at once. We go to the family doctor, and she asks us to do an ultrasound, so we do. And she was 10 weeks into her pregnancy, so they're saying, ah, oh, it's more or less good. Everything seems fine so far. We go to the doctor's office, and uh, the technician is doing the ultrasound. Nicole wasn't able to see, but it, I did see it's, it's something that's amazing. You see the baby's head. You see its body. And it's just mind-blowing. Your, your insides jump for joy. You have so many dreams. You start thinking of these plans. Your mind starts working at a million miles an hour, and it's just a rush of emotions. What we weren't expecting was when the nurse came in saying, I'm sorry, but your baby's dead. And your baby's been dead for two weeks. And she said, normally we wouldn't allow that to happen because uh, the body should be miscarried already, the baby should be out. But because of it, Nicole tomorrow would have to go in and they'd have to force a miscarriage. And if that didn't work, then they would have to be forced to operate. Praise the Lord that evening, Nicole, her body, the Lord was good. She naturally miscarried the baby. And uh, it was a huge loss for us. It was very difficult. But there were people here at the church that we did reach out to. And um, they were a huge help and blessing to us. It still hurts to this day. You know, you, you make all these hopes, you have all these dreams for this baby, and uh, the next morning you wake up and it's not there. It's just void. But we will say that God has been good for, to us. And that despite the pain, despite the hurt, there has been a lot of blessing. And there's been a lot of openness with other people that have gone through the same thing. And what's, we really give thanks to God because of those people here in the chapel that were a part of our life during this one struggle. They really helped us overcome this and get through it. So thank you. So yeah, we sang, if you're broken and hurting within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. If you feel like you need help, if you feel like you've hit rock bottom, don't keep it to yourself. Bring it to Jesus. Talk to someone here in this room. If you're not sure how to do it, if you need help for someone praying for you, let us know. Myself, one of the leaders, if you're a youth, or even the elders, the idea of church is that we live, we grow, and we struggle together. And that's what makes us stronger. So don't leave your problems back there. Bring them in. Second topic, worship. Turn your Bibles to chapter 145 of Psalms. Psalm 145. Psalm 145 says the following, I will extol you, my God, O King. I will praise your name continually. Every day I will praise you. I will praise your name continually. The Lord is great and certainly worthy of praise. No one can fathom his greatness. 
One generation will praise your deeds to another and tell about your mighty acts. I will focus on your honor and majestic splendor and your amazing deeds. They will proclaim the power of your awesome acts. I will declare your great deeds. They will talk about the fame of your great kindness and sing about your justice. The Lord is merciful and compassionate. He is patient and demonstrates great loyal love. The Lord is good to all and has compassion in all he has made. All he has made will give thanks to the Lord. Your loyal followers will praise you. They will proclaim the splendor of your kingdom. They will tell about your power so that mankind might acknowledge your mighty acts and the majestic splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an eternal kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord supports all who fall and lifts up all who are bent over. Everything looks to you in anticipation and you provide them with food on a regular basis. You open your hands and fill every living thing with the food they desire. The Lord is just in all his actions and exhibits love in all he does. The Lord is near all who cry out to him, all who cry out to him sincerely. He satisfies the desire of the loyal followers. He hears their cry for help and delivers them. The Lord protects those who love him, but he destroys all the wicked. My mouth will praise the Lord. Let all who live praise his holy name forever. When it comes down to worship, I think we still have a lot to learn. When it comes down to worship, it's a lot deeper and a lot more than just coming here on a Sunday whenever we meet and singing the songs before we open up the word of God. Worship should be a lifestyle. And this psalm makes it very clear as you guys read through it maybe in your at home later this afternoon, try looking at it verse by verse and see how it builds up, how it's just much more than David praising God and how it influences not just the family, but the nation of Israel and the whole world. Let me give you guys an example. Verse 4 says, One generation will praise your deeds to another, and I tell about your mighty acts. And from verse 4 all the way down to verse 7, we see David expounding on this idea. A lot of times it's asked to us youth group leaders, why do you guys think that kids that grew up in the church go to college and they never come back? What if part of the reason is because the kids don't see God's influence in, the, in their home life, in their parents' lives? What about if we, as parents, as believers, have a lifestyle of worship when we come to God on a daily basis together as a family and we think about all of the great things he has done for us and we share it with one another, wouldn't it be evident for our sons and daughters and even for ourselves about who God is and what he has been doing in our own lives? Now, I'm not saying that this is a full, foolproof plan. I understand situations are complicated, but are we doing this? Or is our worship just limited to, hey, let's go to church Let's sing our favorite song over and over again because it makes us feel nice. Worship, in its essence, it's all about God and it's all for God. Not that God needs us to sing because he has angels up in heaven singing to him 24-7 and these sound a lot better than we do. I can guarantee you that. But worship helps us as Christians. It helps us as the individual. When we start to see God's work, working in our life, we start to see how dependent we truly are on him, even though we might not want to admit it. Not just that, when we see God working in our life and we, ad we acknowledge that, we strengthen our own faith because we know that we can depend on him. Because we remember during those times of trouble, all the times that God has been for us 
and all the times that God has helped us through our struggle and through our fight. So we worship him and we give him thanks. We give him praise for what he has done. And think about this. If we do it in our households, it comes back to the church. And then as a church, we're worshiping in spirit and in truth. We're talking about the amazing deeds that God has done in each one of our lives, how he has been helping us, how he has been drawing us closer and closer to him, and there's spiritual growth within the church. But the psalmist here, David, doesn't stop there. See, in verse 12, let's do verse 11 and 12 for the context. They will proclaim the splendor of your kingdom. These are the believers. They will tell about your power so that mankind might acknowledge your mighty acts, and the majestic splendor of your kingdom. Do you see what's going on here? When we live a lifestyle of worship, when we come before God with hearts filled to worship and ready to worship, it becomes so evident that the people that are around us, whether it be non-believers or whether it be believers, they have no other option but say, that can only be God's influence in your life. A lot of times we ask, why is the church not growing? Maybe this is where we have to start focusing. Maybe we have to start focusing on how we worship. Maybe we have to be more intentional with the way we worship. And not just songs, but really come and gather together and just have times of, hey, what has God been doing in your life? And actually be open about it at work or at school. Hey, I was struggling with this this week, and God, thank you, Lord, for allowing this to happen for A or B to happen. I had an interesting conversation this week with a, a coworker. Uh, his name is Dylan. His, uh, he's a sound technician. That was his original job. Now he's selling truck and trailer parts like me. Go figure. College education, a little bit overrated for some people. But his first job was actually at a church in Pennsylvania. And he's someone who says, I'm a huge skeptic when it comes to religion and church. But I will say this. I think when church is done well, it's beneficial, not just to the people that go there, but to the society that they're inserted in. Because he saw the example of these Christians in that church and how they influenced their community and how they really helped out their community, helped them grow and be there for their needs, that he even stated that that is a good thing. Once more, we see God's hand evident when we live a lifestyle filled with worship. Last but not least, maybe we should come here to serve one another. Now allow me to be clear about this. Serving one another isn't just going downstairs and preparing the coffee. Serving one another isn't just the guys and girls that come up here and sing and praise, at least that lead us in that. It isn't just people like myself and others that, that are here that preach and that teach Sunday school. Serving God, it's actually living life alongside others. Turn with me, if you will, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1, we'll start in verse 3 and go down to verse 7. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we may be able to comfort those experiencing any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the suffering of Christ overflowed toward us, so also our comfort through Christ overflows to you. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort 
that you experience in your patient endurance of the same suffering that we also suffer. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you share in our sufferings, so also you will share in our comfort. Later on, if you read forward, Paul is going to explain how him and the other apostles were so afflicted that they wanted death. They were struggling so bad that they thought it would be better to just die. That's how hard they were having it. And this might be persecutions. This might be problems in your own life. But notice how he starts off that section. We worship of God that comforts us. And he allows bad things at times to happen. He allows us to go through tribulation. He allows us to go through challenges and through problems. And a lot of times, it is to help us. It is so that we come out of it better than when we got in, to be more dependent on God and what he can do in our life. But there's a reason for it. Because then he wants to grab these bad experiences that we have had and use it for his honor and glory. He's, Paul wrote that he was comforted, so now he feels he has to comfort others. And he challenges the Christians to comfort one another with the comfort that God has given them. This is a lot deeper, in my opinion, and a lot more powerful than standing up here and for 40 minutes talking to you guys. For Nicole and myself, when it, with that episode of the miscarriage, when we felt more interacted with the church and more hooked up to the church was when we had these Christians praying for us and speaking with us. It's when we were being served. When we serve one another, we're showing God's love. We're showing that he loved us first, and now we're just paying it forward to those that are around us. I want you guys to really this time truly stop and take a minute to think of how we started, the serious part at least, <laughs> and how we got here. Because it wasn't nothing. It might have seemed like it was nothing, but all of a sudden we have this, this key to how to live life in a very biblical and powerful way. Because we all start, by default, needing God's help. There's no way around it. We're born into this world that is corrupt, that is broken, that's no good. It was completely against God. So we're born needing God's help. But when we come to him, he helps us. He heals us. He delivers us. And that leads us to what? To worship. And when our lifestyle is a true worship, when our lifestyle is to give back to God, this worship doesn't go just by words that come out of our mouth, but then they become action, and we serve. We serve the church, and we serve one another. And when we're serving, then we go and find other people that need help, that are hurting. And those people start worshiping. And those people start serving. And those people go out and they find more people to help. You notice how this is a cycle? You notice how if we do church intentionally, if we come before God for a reason, for a clear-cut reason, amazing things can happen? So once more, let me just ask you guys one more thing. What are you doing here this morning? And why'd you come? Let's pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, once more, Lord, we just want to thank you for these moments. Thank you for your word that despite it being written so many years ago, it is still so relevant today. And Father, we just pray that none of us here may be here for nothing. And if we are, that we can be honest about where we stand and our motivations and our reason for coming here, and that we can bring it all before you. Lord, we, we pray that if anyone here this morning does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that today could be the day. 
Today could be the day that they find healing, spiritual healing, and that their life can, be, can start anew. Lord, as this week goes, goes out, we, we just pray that you may allow us to be attentive to not do nothing, to be intentional how we deal with one another, how we deal with the people outside in the world, and to really make our life about you, to live a lifestyle of worship that honors and glorifies you so that we can serve each other better, and more importantly even, serve the community as well. Lord, we just want to thank and ask all of this in your son's name.